Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. This is Cashflow Ninja. I'm MC Lobsher. Thank you so much for spending the most valuable resource, your time once again on the show. I've got another fantastic show for you. Before we jump into that, if you appreciate what we're doing here, you enjoy this and you find this valuable, give us a like, give us a share. If you're listening to this on iTunes or on Spotify, please subscribe, rate and review our show. That helps other people find the show. You'll notice that we've made a couple of changes to our show. We listened to the feedback. I really appreciate all the emails that I'm getting from everyone across the globe. Uh, we're not monetizing our channel. We're not running ads right now. Our currency is shares and likes and spreading the word of what we're doing here at the Cashflow Ninja. As always, all of the other resources, video series, if that's even a word, and much, much more is available at CashflowNinja.com along with over 700 episodes that I've done with amazing Cashflow Ninjas on the show. There's a video series, by the way, for example, uh, at yourownbankingsystem.com. You can go and check out and learn how to become your own bank and learn everything that you need to learn about infinite banking and how you can warehouse your wealth and your cash like the 1% and amplify the cash flow in your own personal or, or business or investment economy. I'm joined today by another Cashflow Ninja. Very excited to have him on the show, Seth Bradley. Seth, welcome to the show. Hey, MC. Really appreciate having me on today, man. For folks not familiar with you and what you do, can you please share a little bit about your background and journey with them? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, it took me a while to figure this game out. It's uh, it's uh, It's been a journey. So, I started out thinking I wanted to be a doctor. I went to med school for a little bit and I just, I hated it. I knew it wasn't for me. So, you know, eventually I made a, a hard decision to walk away, um, but I ended up pivoting and getting my MBA and then followed by my, I got my law degree. Uh, so I've done the entire gamut of graduate school. So, you know, if anybody needs advice on that, I'm the guy, cause I've been to all of them. So, <laughs> so anyways, you know, growing up, I just wasn't really exposed to entrepreneurship and real estate. I grew up in a small town in West Virginia, you know, the bluest of blue collars, and I was just never really exposed to it. So, you know, it took me a long time to kind of figure this game out. And, you know, I don't mean to brag, but, I, you know, I'm a smart guy. So things just kind of came easy to me academically. And I thought to myself, what's the highest paying job that I can get? And to me growing up, it was, well, I'm going to be a doctor. And that's kind of when I went down that pathway. And after that didn't work out, it was like, well, what's next? Well, I'm going to be a lawyer. Um, so, you know, it took me a while to kind of figure things out. And I kind of started getting into the real estate game around 2013, buying duplexes and house hacking and doing flips and wholesales and all that kind of stuff. And just kind of work my way up through larger multifamily. And now I'm into, you know, commercial real estate and doing a lot bigger deals. Awesome. So you're, you're the super student that then took your super student skills uh, and you applied it to something else that you know uh, that's really going to move the needle and get you to where you want to go, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, so working at big law firms, I did that for six years. There were really a couple of aha moments that, that kind of put me over the edge. I mean, the first one was just, it, it really took some time, but you know, seeing the older guys at the firm that had 
quote unquote made it, but they're still in the office just all the time. You know, they're still practicing a full workload, billing a ton of hours. And on top of that, they've got the administrative duties and, you know, the, the fundraisers and all that other kind of stuff and teaching other attorneys how to do what they're doing. And I just started thinking to myself, you know, how, how can this be? Like if, if I get to the apex of success at a law firm, I'm going to end up like these guys, 70 years old and still at the law firm, still billing hours, still not, you know, retired, sipping coconuts. I'm just hanging out here at the office, which is where I, I don't want to be. I'm already doing that. Um, so that was kind of aha moment number one. And I just, just started getting the wheels turning. Like I need to look for something else, even, even though I'd worked so hard to get there. Um, and the money was good, but you just, you, you didn't want to end up like that. Um, and then the second aha moment was, you know, working on these big real estate deals. I'm a, I'm a real estate attorney. So, you know, I worked on those deals from the legal side and, you know, these guys that are in here buying these hundred million dollar plus properties and closing these financings, you know, they're not Donald Trump or, you know, Bill Gates or somebody, you know, that's up here. They're just regular guys like, like you and me, MC, they're just regular dudes. And you're like, man, I can, I can do that. Like I'm, I'm sophisticated enough. I know enough about this stuff that I, I can do those deals. Um, so that was aha moment number two where I said, you know, I can do this. I, I can start, you know, getting into real estate and be the principal on deals and, you know, really get into that cash flow game so that I don't, I can escape the rat race and not work till I'm 70 years old. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to that, right? Where, and, and it's great that you had this aha moment early because a lot of folks, unfortunately, realize later in life, they're like, man, the juice wasn't really worth the squeeze, if this is the juice, you know, at the end of it, like you said, I've made it, but I'm working still 10 to 15 hours, still billing, still have stress, will still get hit, like just smacked uh, by uh, an unknown variable, like a pandemic, uh, a recession, a depression, a market crash. I mean, there's there's not, there's not a lot that you can control, right? And a lot of folks that are doing very well are very high income earners too. They passively hand over money to advisors, financial advisors, and basically trust them with it, which we know that they don't know what they're doing. Um, and then essentially they're putting everything that they've worked for up until that, uh, that, that, that period too at risk, right? So great aha moment there. Then you figure out, man, there's another game. There's got, there's got to be another game. How do I create another game? And then you see folks uh, doing it through, through your employment at your firm. And then you figure out, man, I got, I got to do something like this too. These guys are playing a different game. It looks like a lot more fun. Um, and they're doing well, doing well in the process. How did you break free of the golden handcuffs, by the way? Because that's another thing is a lot of folks say, yes, I get it. Yes, I'm working long hours. Yes, I am a very high income earner and I'm paying a ton in taxes. Yes, I know the juice might not be worth the squeeze at the end of this. How do I get out of this invisible golden handcuffs that we have? Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of attorneys and, and people with you know high earning W-2 jobs get themselves into the golden handcuffs which just means, you know, you, your, your expenses meet the money that you make. So you keep making more and more money and that might be a lot of money. I mean, you might be making a half a million dollars a year. If you're a partner, you're a million dollars a year, but you're probably spending almost just as much because your lifestyle meets that. And then you have bills, you have bills for your houses, for your second home, for your vacations, for the your wife's jewelry and bags and everything else. 
And all of a sudden you're like, well, even if I wanted to walk away from this job, I can't because I have all these bills to pay. And that's the golden handcuffs. And the way that I did it was, you know, I didn't really get them too deep. I mean, I started with it, you know, as soon as I started a big law firm, I bought like a brand new 550i and, you know, I thought I was big time or whatever. And all of a sudden, you know, you start, you know, you buy a house and all this stuff. And then I'm like, wait a minute. And I started, you know, having those aha moments and I realized, whoa, I'm going down that path where I've got these bills to pay. I can't quit my job. And, you know, what you do is you just start paying those things off. I mean, if you have some bad debt, you've got to get, get dealt with, paid off and start figuring out how to develop passive income streams or active income streams if you have time so that you can replace your income and, and live and pay those expenses without having to work with your W-2 active income. That's uh, great advice because folks, you, you can find yourself really in a big hole pretty quickly. And, and the system is designed that way. I mean, think about it, right? So if you if you don't come from a family with financial means, right? You're not build, uh, born with a silver spoon in your mouth. You, you've got to go get um, some uh, college loans or student loans, right? Then you go to college, then you get go do a post-grad somewhere, or go to med school, law school. So there's more loans adding up. Now you're eventually starting, you got a ton of student loan debt. Uh, <laughs> you're finally starting to make some money. Now you're buying a place, there's a car. I mean, it's before you know it, it just snowballs and you're basically in a prison, really. And you can't go anywhere because you're dependent on that one source of income, which we all know is not very, very, very secure. So, yeah, yeah you've got to figure out a way, a way, number one, to not build the, that prison for yourself in, in the first place. But if you're there, you've got to then figure out how do I get out of this? Yeah. And those student loans, like you just said, are kind of the beginning of it, right? I mean, you're if you want to become a doctor or a lawyer, you go to school forever and you're already in the hole tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, just to start. I mean, you've already got the golden handcuffs before you even started and you're stuck in that career, whether you like it or not for a while. And it's unfortunate. I mean, that's, you know, that's something the government's dealing with right now. We'll see what happens, but you know, you've got to really, and I talk to uh, law students now or, or students that are looking to go into law school. You know, I, I try to kind of set the table for them and say, make sure you really want to do this, you know, take an internship, um, make sure it's for you because you're, you're going to get strapped into this career for a little while at least. So if you don't love it or at least get some kind of enjoyment out of it, you need to you know think twice about it and just think about what your, I, I hate to say passion, but what your passion is and what, what you can enjoy doing with your life. And I got to mention one more thing that's funny that came up is, is, and you'll think this is ridiculous, but I remember my first year in law school and the partners, you're looking for to buy a house or whatever. And the partners would tell me, to buy the house that you can afford later, not the house that you can afford now. So they're basically telling you to buy an expensive house that you can't even afford, so that, but you're gonna grow into the house later. And looking back at that now, and they would tell everybody that, that was kind of like a, just kind of regular advice at big law firms. And looking back at that now, it's like, that's the most ridiculous <laughs> thing I've ever heard. It's, 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 it's crazy. It's uh. Yeah, uh, listen, you got to be very careful where you take your advice from. So, and 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 to your point, you know, we are living in a completely different world where folks that let's just say are in the baby boomer generation grew up in, right? We can't go and work uh, and pay for college working in our, our, in summers, right? 
which a lot of them did. So it's a completely different world, completely different uh, scenario. So you got to be very, very careful what advice you do or take. And then the other thing is like things have massive consequences because right there, right? Let's just say you've got these this hill of student loans, right? You're already on the other side of a compound interest equation. You're on the negative side of on that side already, right? The banks have got you there. Now they're going to get you on on the other side of the compound interest equation on the on a home. <laughs> so it's already. I mean, you're you're battling two two really really big uh, the negative compound uh, interest equations there. So it becomes it becomes a tough game at that stage. Let's talk a little bit about the Wall Street versus the the real estate, the alternative asset classes too. And I can't think of a more fun time to have that conversation. We've seen in the, in the past month, probably one of the uh, craziest things we've we've seen in a long time with GameStop, with uh, AMC theaters. We've had uh, essentially uh, a Reddit thread and a group on Reddit that. Uh, that consists mainly, I guess, out of gamers and folks in the gaming community that have figured out the game of Wall Street and then started playing in massive numbers the game against a lot of hedge funds. Um, we've had, we then had social media companies or a platform like Concord shut these guys down. Uh, speaking about you know the the free big tech society that we live in, then we had Wall Street shut down basically the ability to trade certain stocks. Right, you could only sell it. A lot of these platforms, Robinhood, you know the app trading where everybody's now a trader and everybody can trade freely. Some thoughts on that and 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 bringing that versus alternative asset investments. I mean, this is a great time to talk about that since we've basically seen this whole thing revealed. Right, it was like the curtain being pulled back of what what a what a fraud <laughs> wall street essentially is right yeah i mean it's absolutely ridiculous i mean today is the day to talk about this right i mean with freezing out of retail investors it it just goes to show you it, it's a fantasy land i mean wall street is just a fantasy land and it just shows you that you as a retail investor are not in control I mean, Robinhood especially is just by its name, just did the absolute opposite of what you would expect them to do. I mean, they're supposed to protect the retail investors, the little guys, allow them to trade. As soon as the little guys started getting a little momentum, boom, we're putting an end to that. We're putting an end to that. Too, too many of the big guys are losing money. And I, I just think a lot of it comes down to financial education when you're growing up. I mean, we don't get it in the school system. I never got it. I'm sure you never got it. I mean, hopefully sometime down the line, you get it as early as possible. But man, they don't teach it in the school system. And I think that really causes all the problems, man. I mean, that causes the, you know, the shrinking middle class and, you know, this polarization and politics, like all this stuff comes down to just financial education. I mean, it should be, you should be able to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You should be forced to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad in middle school, at at least. Um, And and then I think that people would be able to make a lot better decisions, whether or not to go down Wall Street, or go down Main Street. And Main Street to me is alternative investments, whether that's, you know, investing in a business or starting your own, you know, online shop or real estate, which we all love. I mean, you know, you've, you've got to figure out a way to to educate yourself so that you can diversify into these alternative investments 
like real estate so you can be in more control of your your own destiny and not rely on on these hedge fund man hedge fund managers and your financial advisors and all these guys that are telling you yeah put all this money in your 401k and wait till you're 65 years old uh, and then you can retire and sip coconuts well you know that's not good enough for me i mean i it doesn't make sense to go to school for 20 years and then work for 45 and then you've just got hopefully a few years left to enjoy yourself. But, you know, by that time, who knows, who knows about your health, who knows about your, your situation? I mean, you've got to enjoy life now. And to be able to do that, you've got to invest in main street and main street is businesses, real estate, ways to create cash flow for yourself to live off of. So you don't have to go to work every single day, slaving away to the man to, to make a living and, and to live. Yeah, abs- absolutely. And I just want to say this too. So Wall Street, right? And I know folks that do very well there and they do very, very well trading. And there's a reason why they do very well because they know the game is rigged. They understand the game. Like these are the first guys that told me because, you know, I have one or two folks that I usually reach out, uh, traders. And these are the first guys that were telling me, look, even before they, the, the, the trading platforms, which, by the way, said just simultaneously, all of these trading platforms like TD Ameritrade, Robinhood and others just, you know, just they, they independently came to the conclusion that they needed to shut down trading certain stocks. Right. Of course not. It was coordinated. But these guys were saying to me, boy, this is going to get interesting because one of the hedge funds. The, the Treasury Secretary of the new administration, formerly the Federal Reserve uh, chairperson, um, was paid a, a seven-figure speaking fee by them. On their board of advisors, a previous Federal Reserve chairman is sitting, Ben, ben Bernanke. So even before this happened, these guys said to me, this is going to get very interesting because there are some big, big heavy artillery on the side of the hedge funds and on the side of Wall Street. But essentially, back to my point, they understand the game. They know the players in the game. They understand kind of how this works. Um, and that's why that's why they're successful. So you can do that, but you need to have a certain skill set and then be very aware of what's going on there. For the, the rest of us, for the, for the average person out there, we don't get to access insider trading. We have outsider trading, which is much more fun anyway. Uh, on Main Street, we could have a lot of fun investing in alternative asset classes and and generate passive income. But yeah, I mean, this really for our audience, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here because a lot of folks are looking for alternative asset classes. You know, if this is something that you have to use to wake up more and more folks because you can help a lot of people by doing that because literally the curtain was pulled away. We saw that essentially there isn't fraud in the system. <laughs> the entire system of Wall Street is essentially fraud. If you if you just let's just use Robinhood for as an example, right? One of the trading platforms. So essentially this was a a, a a platform that was created for Main Street. Hey, everybody can be a trader now. So they don't charge for trade. So you could trade for free on there. Now, everybody that know that that watches and listens to the show is that nothing's free, <laughs> right? Now, you, if, if, if you're not paying for it, guess what? You are the product. So essentially what they were doing is they were selling a lot of data to who? Hedge funds. 
and a lot of the other big banks. So their biggest customer, Robinhood, was essentially the big guys, not the little guy. The little guys were just the folks providing the data. So for folks that know about front-running trades, you understand that they have massive, massive uh, high-frequency trading computers and algorithms and all those things. So the data is shared of all these trades to these firms with these tech technology capabilities, and then they would skim off the trades off these folks. You know, there's a, a, another a statistic, and I know 99% of statistics are made up, but essentially it's something to the effect that the average share is held if you if you factor in everything for around 40 seconds. I know people are going to say, MC, we've seen stuff about 11 seconds or 10 seconds. That's just the hedge funds. I'm just talking in general. So essentially, there's just a turn of shares being turned frequently and it skimmed off the top. So you have the ability to get away from that and get into assets, which you have much more control over and you actually enjoy doing business with the people on Main Street. Any comments on on that little mini rant? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man, I mean, you nailed it. It's just like you got to see behind the curtain right there. I mean, people had no idea what was going on and now at least they can see. So this might be a good turning point for for kind of Main Street folks that want to, to, to go to Main Street, it's, you know, where did the data? I mean, they were using us to make moves and, rather than the other way around. They weren't giving us a platform to make moves. They were using us as data for them to make the moves. And, you know, it's tough. It, it's a little bit easier now that this has all happened. But before it was tough to even talk to kind of traditional asset traders just about this because everything's been going up, 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 right? Like all you hear about lately was was Tesla and Apple. And then you heard about GameStop and AMC and all that stuff. But man, everything was just kind of going up and people were like, oh yeah, you need to jump on this new technology company. You need to buy Tesla, even though it's a ridiculous amount right now, like buy Tesla, buy Apple. And it's like, no, I'm going to invest in real estate. I'm going to invest in my businesses. But they're, you know, it, it's just tough to kind of get people over that hump uh, when everything's going so well, because people forget what happens and people forget this thing is a roller coaster. And that's why I need to find something more stable. On the real estate uh, side, you've uh, single family and multifamily is two different ways that folks can go. Uh, what are some some of your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I started out in single family like a lot of people did. I house hacked into a duplex in 2013, continued to buy more houses and made them into rentals and did some flips and did some wholesales. Um, graduated into some small multifamily, you know, and and now I'm into the bigger commercial stuff. And it's like, you know, it, it all comes down to what your goals are. I mean, you know, and how much time you have. I mean, single family is great. I'm not telling anyone not to invest in single family. It's how I started. It's how a lot of people start. And I'm going to continue to invest in single family. Um, but just whenever you start moving your way up the ladder and you start trying to create economies of scale, there's really no comparison. You know, I had issues with, and I'm sure everybody can relate to this has done a flip or anything like that. I mean, you know, you're dealing with contractors, you're dealing with property managers with those types of properties that, you know, they, they aren't, you know, first in class. They're like, you know, maybe one rung up from the bottom compared to when you get into these commercial deals, you're dealing with, you know, professionals, you're dealing with really good contractors that stay on schedule and do things like they're supposed to do. And they're not cutting corners. And the same goes with the property managers. They're professionals. They know what they're doing. They're organized. You don't have to tell them like, Hey, why is my uh, rental property not on Craigslist this week? It's been vacant for a month. 
things like that that you just don't have to deal with. So for busy professionals, I think that you know a good way to start is to you know invest maybe passively in some of these deals, maybe a syndication or you know even if you buy some people argue whether it's passive or not, but like a triple net retail uh, property where you don't have to deal with anything. I mean, you're the owner, you're the landlord, but the tenant pays for everything. I mean, there's different types of passive investing that you can get into to start out with um, when you have a full-time job that I think would be the best first step. And then if, if that's something that you start developing you know, a, a passion for and you want to get into it more, then maybe take that jump over to the active side. And a, a syndica- syndication is a great way for uh, folks to get in on the active side of that. And there's a lot of folks that have, that have been getting into that lately as a lawyer. And this is what I appreciate about you is you've shared that there's five things that syndicators need to know about operating agreements, which is very, very important. Maybe if you just want to explain to folks quick the idea for people that are not familiar of what a syndication is. Uh, why syndications are used for uh, purchasing larger properties. And then as a syndicator, what are the five things that you need to know about an operating agreement that kind of binds everyone um, involved in this project? Yeah, sure. So I'll keep it super simple. I mean, a syndication is essentially just a group of people, a group of investors that get together, pool their money, pool their resources, together to buy a bigger property that they may not have been able to buy on their own. Now there's a lot of intricacies into that. There's, you know, the active side and the passive side of that, the GPs, the LPs, we won't jump into that, but essentially it's a group of people that want to pull their resources together to buy something bigger than let's say a single family or a fourplex or something like that. They want to pull their money together to buy a $10 million, hundred unit property. Now, the five things that syndicators need to know about their operating agreement, these are things that, you know, when you're raising capital and you need to know your, you just need to know your deal inside and out. Because when you talk to investors, as boring as it might be, you need to know your legal documents, you need to know your PPM, the operating agreement, and reading and understanding those docs. You know, it's not fun or sexy, like touring a property or building a funnel or launching a podcast or something. But when something goes wrong, if it goes wrong, these documents, just like any contract, are the things that you're going to be depending on to fall back on and to see line for line. Well, what you know, what what happens now? And knowing these documents is is not only best practice, but it's just absolutely essential. So I'll just quickly go through these top five things. And these are things that you just need to know because investors are going to ask about it. And if you don't know it like that, you're going to be holding the bag and they're going to be like, this guy doesn't even know his own deal. I'm not going to invest with this person. So number one is, is capital call. So you need to know what a capital call is. Capital call is if you know there's a shortage of cash flow and you need to force investors to invest more money with you you know, that's called a capital call. So those are the two dirty words we hope we never have to deal with in practice. And it, it does rarely happen. Um, it's your last resort. And I mean, from a, a practical perspective, you know, if there's a cash flow shortage, you're typically going to find a, a way other than a capital call through a loan or something like that. But you need to know, you know, where that capital call language is in your operating agreement. You need to know how it's going to work. Is it mandatory? You know, is it at the discretion of the managers or, you know, is it up to a a certain number of votes? So you just need to know that in and out. Um, You may be asked about that. The second one is distributions. You know, what does the waterfall look like? What are the splits? What are the hurdles? Who gets paid first? You know, after the debt, after the loan, who gets paid? Is there a press? 
Um, are there different levels of uh, investors that's going to get paid before certain other investors get paid? You need to know the waterfall. You're going to get asked about that. The third part is fees. You know, you're going to, you, you have your sponsorship fees uh, for your acquisition, asset management, construction, all those sorts of things. Um, just know those percentages, know how they work, um, know when they're paid, whether they're paid before or after certain distributions or preferential um, preferential distributions, and also know about your property management fees. I mean, your property manager could be in-house, could be third party. You need to know uh, what that is, what you're allowed to pay. And again, all this stuff is in your operating agreement. So you need to be able to point it out. Don't misspeak about it. Get it right. Uh, number four is liquidity. Investors will always ask, well, what happens if I want to sell my shares? You know, they always want to know what do I do if, if, if I need this money? And you need to be upfront about it. You need to tell them that most of the time, if not all the time, these syndications, they're illiquid in that you're not going to be able to sell your shares without jumping through some hoops. You know, and, and there'll be, uh, if you do try to go and sell something, there's probably going to be a right of first refusal that'll kick in, that'll, you know, members can exercise it, the managers of the, the general partners can exercise it, or even the company can buy it back. But the last person who's probably going to be able to buy that is, you know, a third party, Uncle Ned, that wants wants to buy your shares. And maybe we don't want him in there anyways. So just know, you know, how that works. Know that most of the time these things are illiquid and just be upfront about that to your investors. And, and last are the voting rights. Um, know what voting rights the general partners and the managers have. Know what voting rights the limited partners have. Um, know if it's a majority or if it's a, you know, a, a super majority with 75% or two thirds of a vote, just know what rights that you have um, coming into the deal as either an active uh, general partner or as a passive limited partner. Know those rights, be able to explain those to your investors. And, you know, these are not just the only provisions you need to know, but at an absolute minimum, you've got to know those five things for sure. And if there's ever a doubt, you know, as an attorney, I, I always say this. I mean, you just disclose, disclose, disclose. Have full transparency about everything. Don't try to gloss over anything. Don't try to hide anything. Just be upfront about everything and you'll be just fine. So uh, the general partner, limited partners, so the general partners, the folks that are actively involved in the, in the project and the limited partners, uh, when you invest as a limited partner, you are a passive investor in the deal. So you're putting up capital, but you're not involved in any operations or management or any other activities that, that that's part of the deal. That's right. That's right. These are powerful stuff because I think a lot of folks uh, look at the sexy stuff right away, right? The deal, the uh, returns, uh, you know, the flashy brochures with all the nice pictures. But when it really comes down to it, this is the stuff that they should be paying attention to because you need to understand what happens when things go sideways. As you mentioned, capital call, uh, not a lot of folks are familiar uh, with that one, for example. What are like one or two examples of situations in which that could potentially occur? If you just have a cash flow shortage. So if we're talking, well, just anything, I guess, but let's just take, for instance, multifamily. I mean, let's say your occupancy for I don't know what reason, but it goes from 90% to 50% and you're not able to pay your bills. You, you, you've you already ran through all your reserves that you had and you're not able to pay your bills. Your, your cash flow is just not there. Your, your property's not generating enough cash flow to pay your mortgage, um, to pay your bills. And in order to keep that property from going into foreclosure, well, 
guess what? You're going to have to do either find another, another lender that's going to give you a loan or, or you're going to have to do a capital call. And a capital call is just whenever you call up your limited partners and you can do your general partners too, but you call them up and say, Hey, guess what? Check out the operating agreement. You actually need to pay us, you know, this amount of money or your shares are going to get diluted because we're unfortunately in a situation where we're short on cash flow and we don't want to lose the property. Yeah. And, and, and to your, to your point that when the occupancy falls and the, and now, now you're running into issues with financing too, right? Which could be a, because banks, of course, this isn't like a single family where you buy it once it's a fixed 30 mortgage, <laughs> fixed 30 year mortgage. And they really don't care what's going on in that one one particular property. It's a fixed mortgage for 30 years. Uh, with multifamily, it's a little bit of a different game where banks are actually actively involved in monitoring collateral and seeing that the ratios are in line. And if the ratios are not in line, guess what? <laughs> they could require you to pay in more money to make sure that those ratios are in line, right? Yeah. I mean, in that scenario, you're probably in default of your loan at that point in time because your occupancy is so low. So yeah, I mean, they can make you do whatever you want to at that point. So you've kind of, you've got to figure out a way to generate cash. And a lot of times it can be trying to get more money from your investors. You need to raise more capital. Important to know all these things um, and keep learning and understanding all the different angles of this, because it's a very, very powerful investment clause that can allow you to generate income which allows you time freedom right and get you get your freedom of of time back which is the big which is the big goal that's right and i don't mean to scare everybody with the capital call talk i mean that is a very rare thing it doesn't happen very often but you just need to know that it, that right is there if you vet your sponsor the market the deal all the due diligence you're supposed to do before you invest in one of these syndications, you're probably not going to find yourself in one of those situations. It's just not a very, um, it's a pretty rare occurrence. Yeah, absolutely. No, I appreciate you sharing because um, we need to know everything that we that we that we can before making uh, informed decisions, and we share everything on this show—the good, the bad, the ugly, the truth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's all found here on the on the Cashflow Ninja Show. Um, one habit I've observed from very uh, wealthy and successful folks is that they're always learning and studying. What are you currently studying and learning right now? Um, I just read Persuasion by uh, Robert Cialdini, so it's a really cool book about uh, you know. it's kind of conditioning someone before you, if you're trying to persuade them into doing something, you kind of condition them with, with different body signals or different ways to use your words. And it's a pretty interesting take on, you know, psychology and the psychology of selling something. And um, it's really cool. I've always been interested in psychology and, and how the, how the brain works. Very interesting stuff. He's got some fantastic books. I said the core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Um, Let's see. Number one, I would say, you know, seek financial education. You know, like we, we talked about earlier in the show, we don't necessarily get that from our traditional educational system, at least not yet. Hopefully that will change in the future. But, you know, it, it, since you don't do it, don't get it through that. You've got to figure out a way to get it on your own. So seek financial education, educate yourself about money. Don't be afraid to talk about money. 
Um, it, it shouldn't be a rude thing to talk about money. It should be out in the open. You should be able to talk about how you can, how you can earn it, how you can keep it and how you can multiply it. And, and that's how people get ahead in this life. So I think financial ed- education is, is number one. Number two, I would say seek a coach or a mentor that can really accelerate your growth and, and shorten the learning curves, no matter what you're doing. You know, whether that's real estate, whether that's you know starting a business, whether that's getting to be a better attorney or a better doctor. I mean, find somebody that's going to show you, kind of pull the curtain back and just show you how to do exactly what you want to do and to become the person you want to become. Last, I would just say, you know, this is kind of general, but just be humble, be a good person. Um, just start every day being grateful. You know, that's one practice that I, I've recently taken up is just, you know, you get kind of caught up in the whirlwind of doing a lot of things and, and being busy all the time. But if you just take a few moments, maybe when you wake up in the morning to just be thankful and grateful for what you have and for your health and for the people around you, it really sets the table for your day to be successful. Fantastic. Where can uh, folks learn more about you? and what you do and stay informed of all the many projects that you're involved with. Yeah. So I just launched my new podcast. It's called the Passive Income Attorney Podcast. It's available on all platforms or go to the website. It's passiveincomeattorney.com. Check that out. Um, I'm on all social media, Seth Paul Bradley. And last, I'd like to promote this, uh, the cash flow calculator. It's, it's really a spreadsheet that you can plug in your passive investments um, let's say you're going to invest $100,000 this year and then 50 next year, and you plan on doing that every single year. You can kind of plug that stuff in, and it'll spit out all the returns you're going to get. You can project your cash flow, and it'll really show you a visualization of how you can buy back your time, which is what we really love to talk about on this show. So check that out at intelligentpassiveinvestor.com. Awesome. Seth, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and your knowledge and providing so much value for all of my listeners and my viewers out there. Of course. MC, really appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Appreciate you spending your most valuable resource with us. Uh, We are on all kinds of different platforms. So uh, you can check us out now. If you're enjoying this by video, we are on BitChute. We are on Rumble. By the way, there's another fantastic platform too, lbry.tv, blockchain-based, open source. Really would uh, recommend you check it out. We are on there too. Um, And then uh, we are on all the different uh, podcast platforms. So uh, you'll you'll be able to find us uh, on all the different podcast platforms. Again, uh, we appreciate a share. We appreciate a like. We appreciate uh, a comment. If you're watching it on a video platform, let us know what you think. We're always open to learning and improving and making this uh, show better and better and better. It's been five years going, and we're very much appreciative of everyone that has helped us grow because it's through feedback from you that we've been able to make changes uh, which people have uh, enjoyed again check out all of our past shows at cashflowninja.com until next time live infinitely
This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation, and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.